Welcome to Crossbridge. If you're a guest with us today, I am so glad that you're here. And my hope for you is the same as it is for everyone at Crossbridge. And that's that you would be able to take one step in your faith towards Jesus because this is what we are all about. Now, I'm the middle kid of three boys. And in our house growing up, there was a decent amount of arguments. They, they could be over anything. Uh, we would argue over things like, who would have to eat the last bowl of cereal in a box before you got to open a new one? Because no one wants the bottom of the Lucky Charms, you know what I mean? We would argue over things like um, who gets shotgun in the car and who got stuck sitting in the middle seat in the back on that long road trip. We would argue about what video games we are going to play, what movie we were going to watch. And the funny thing is, is that most of our arguments were resolved through wrestling and to the victor went the spoils. <laughs> but sometimes... It never got physical. Sometimes one of us would just announce, this is what we're doing, and you have no choice. You know, as I say this now, I, I realize that we picked this up from the adults who were around us who said this, because it's not natural for a kid to say that. But our response to when someone said that, which at the time, I don't think when he, we really had any idea what we were saying when we said it, this came from the adults as well. We would say, who made you judge, jury, and executioner? Have you ever heard this phrase? Maybe you've even said it. Who made you judge and jury? And while I might not have understood it completely then, I knew that I was basically asking my brothers the question, who put you in charge of me, right? You don't control me. As funny as it is to replay this in my head, I look around myself today, and whether we have the courage enough to verbalize it or not, I think we're all still asking this same question. I'm sorry, who put you in charge of me? When someone makes a decision, right now, whether it's about masks, school schedules, your work hours, dinner plans, or maybe even the movie you're going to watch later tonight, when someone makes a decision for us, Without asking us, it makes sense for us to ask, why do you get the final call in this situation? As I look at our Jenga tower, I think the reason that we get so flustered when this happens is because it reveals that maybe we're not in as much control of our tower as we think. And if we aren't in control of our tower, then someone else is. And they're the ones who are controlling our pieces. But many of us then, I think that we begin to play judge, jury, and executioner in our own lives to fear against this. We set which of these blocks then are the most important. Which of these at any time should we be protecting against the, the control of someone else? And we question when someone looks at our tower, why do you get to judge my tower then? I think that we think our judgment is best, not just for us, but for everybody else in the world. And at the same time, I think it's true when it comes to our faith that as disciples of Jesus, too many of us play judge, jury, and executioner. We decide which biblical truths and values are important and which are inconvenient, and then we hold everyone else around us to this new set of standards that we've created. And when they fall short of what we think their tower should look like, what do we do? We judge. So today, as we walk through the Apostles' Creed, and in this series, we're going to be closing out our section on Jesus, the one who sets the standards, 
our side blocks, if you will. The one who gave his life for ours because we fall short of those standards. And the one who is returning to judge the living and the dead. But before we unpack what that means, would you just stand with me wherever you are? And like generation of Christ followers who have gone before us, would you recite the Apostles' Creed with me? If you don't know it, we will have the words on the screen for you. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You know, just like in the weeks leading up to today, I want to give you the same disclaimer and warning that Becky and Pastor Will did as they jumped into their topics. I, I promise that as we look at our last section on Jesus, our coming King and Judge, there will be more questions than there are answers. And you might also find yourself a little bit more emotionally charged and opinionated than you expect. Because we don't usually like to talk about the end times or the final judgment. And I completely understand why. Believe me, for the longest time in my faith, I avoided going here theologically. But when I finally had the courage to jump in with butterflies in my stomach, I found a deeper sense of reverence, of peace, and, and like passion for Jesus. And I'm praying that the same is true for you today. The last section that we will close with on Jesus is, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. You know, the first two words of this really do jump out to me, from there. It's a reminder of what Pastor Will talked about briefly last week, that after defeating death and rising on the third day, Jesus appeared to his disciples and hundreds of others over the next couple of weeks. Fully human, but in a, in a perfected body. If you want to know what this means, I'm already going to let you down because I have no idea how to explain a perfected human body. I, I don't get it. But in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is physically taken up into the clouds. He ascended into heaven and is currently seated at the right hand of God. Okay, so now Jesus is alive currently. He's 100% God, 100% human. When he ascended, he didn't like all of a sudden become this mystical thing and evaporate into the clouds and be absorbed, right? Jesus is completely human right now. I know, lots of questions. I, I see it on your face, on your couch, I get it. But Jesus is at God's right hand right now. And when this was written culturally, to be at someone's right hand was to be in a place of like highest honor. This goes back to a time when warriors, they would carry a shield in their left hand and like a sword, a lance, a mace, some sort of weapon in their right hand. This made them vulnerable 
on their right side, believe it or not. So the king or the commander, whoever was in charge of general, would always put their strongest warrior at their right for protection. So right now, Jesus, fully human, fully God, is seated at the highest place of honor and authority in heaven like the most trusted and victorious warrior. If this is messing with your brain a little bit, it's understandable. But if you've read through the New Testament, you can't really read it any other way, can you? Well, I guess that's not 100% true. You can read it differently. But you'd have to cut out some major chunks of the books about Jesus and the letters that Paul writes. It's interesting because this entire Apostles' Creed, it was written because this is exactly what a person named Marcion did um, in the second century. We, we haven't really mentioned him at all, but it's essential to know that this man was the driving force for the creation and the content of this creed. He wasn't one of the writers, but instead he was one of the most influential teachers and theologians of the day. And sometime about like the late 130s, he traveled from what's modern day Turkey and he traveled over to Rome to become part of the church that existed there. And about you know, 10 or so years later, in 144, he was excommunicated. This is a fancy church way of saying, you can't come around here no more, okay? He wasn't allowed to be part of what the church was doing unless he repented of some major issues that he didn't want to address. The issue that he was dealing with was with the person of Jesus. He absolutely believed in Jesus, but only certain parts of his story. You know, Marcion actually started a church using what we now call the Gospel of Marcion. It's really just the Gospel of Luke. But Marcion went ahead and he started to cut out major sections that he didn't like. For instance, he, he would cut out the birth of Jesus. He cut out the ascension. They're not in there. And this was because Marcion, he, he imagined a spiritual, mystical, this disembodied savior. He rejected anything having to do with the physical Jesus, so he conformed scripture to fit his vision. Remember last week, Pastor Will talked about only listening to people whose teachings we like that tickle our ears instead of listening to the complete truth. This creed focuses so much on Jesus and his humanity because of what Marcion did. And in Jesus's humanity right now, he is at the right hand of God the Father. And that's where it means from there. And from there, we declare what? That he will come. This could be wonderful or could be terrifying news to you right now. But your first century believers were, you need to know, anxiously awaiting. They were anxiously anticipating the return of Jesus. Again, in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended, we read the disciples looking and an angel says to them, these group of angels say, men of Galilee, why are you standing there staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven. But someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Imagine being a disciple in that moment, right? Jesus chose you, you walked with him for years, and then he's murdered in front of you. He's buried, you've seen it, but then he rises from the dead and he's like hanging out with you for a couple weeks explaining how all this was possible. This is amazing, right? And then Jesus takes you up to the top of this mountain and then physically gets taken up into the clouds? I think I'd be staring in awe just like these disciples were like, what the? But the angel is so clear. 
He says, listen, someday he's going to return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Our ascended Savior is what? He is returning in the same way that he was taken up. He is coming back. Again, I know this leads to more questions. And the one that most of you and myself are mentally asking is the same as every generation before us. He's coming back. Well, when? When's he coming back? Even the disciples, you know what they did? They questioned Jesus about this when Jesus talked about the future. Here's what Jesus had to tell them about when in the Gospel of Mark, the biography of Jesus written by Mark. In chapter 13, Jesus says, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. You know, no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. And please hear me as clearly as possible. If anyone at any time tells you that they are 100% certain that they know when Jesus is returning, do not listen to a thing they say. That right there is the easiest way to define a false teacher. And sometimes I think that we ask this question of when with an ulterior motive. <laughs> we like to know when so that we can be ready and control our tower, right? It's like, it's like inviting friends over for dinner at 7 p.m. on Saturday you know at what point they are going to show up to your house and when your house needs to be cleaned by. If you say, come over for dinner at some point this weekend, we all know that the house is going to be cleaned up like on Thursday. And then there's going to be a constant alert, worried, are they at the door because we don't want the mess in our house to be seen by the guests. They could come at any time. I think we would love to know this timing because we could get our houses in order. They wouldn't have to be a mess and we could do what we want with our lives until that point. That we could be the judge and jury and then put it all together before company Jesus arrives. And when we talk about our Savior returning to earth, the best and the only advice comes from Jesus himself. Be on guard. Stay alert. This isn't about what we can get away with in life. This is about being fully ready and present because when he returns, he's not coming to earth the same way that he did the first time. He's no baby in the manger. He's getting off his heavenly throne at the right hand of the Father and returning as the victorious warrior king. This leads us to our last statement about Jesus in this creed, and it's the why of Christ's return. It's to judge the living and the dead. This right here is what makes so many uncomfortable to talk about. For those who have never really read the biographies of Jesus in detail or, or on your own, this might sound very shocking. I mean, a judging Jesus? Yes, a judging Jesus. For those who have been soaping with us through the Old Testament, and that's the way that we read the Bible together, maybe right now you're thinking, wait, this sounds a lot like the God that I read about back there, not like the Jesus we're going to read about in September when we read John, but for centuries. Christians, to this day, have been trying to decide whether God is a God of love or a God of justice. Is God more like the legalistic, demanding, angry God of the Old Testament, or, thanks to the teachings of Jesus, is God more like this loving Father, ready to run towards his wayward sheep? The problem with this debate is that we're trying to separate the same God. When you read through the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures 
constantly tell us and remind us of a God whose mercy endures forever. A God whose forgiveness for his chosen people is like a husband who forgives an unfaithful wife constantly. A God who comforts Israel like a mother who comforts their child. And in the New Testament, we see Jesus speaking about eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels, like Pastor Will talked about last week. He talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth, and he isn't always the most pleasant with people. Sometimes we see what we want to see, and we shape the truth to fit what we want, don't we? But from the very mouth of Jesus, while he doesn't know when, he knows what will happen upon his return. And he tells his disciples this in Matthew chapter 25. He says, But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne, and the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Jesus is very clear that there will be a day of separation, a judgment day. People from every nation will be divided into two groups, sheep and goats. And if you don't raise sheep and goats, this doesn't make any sense, right? The two look pretty similar, but they actually behave very differently. And if you read the story that Jesus tells after he makes this statement, you realize that he's separating people based on those two things, those that followed him, his teachings, and and they lived like him in their everyday life. These are the sheep. And then there's the goats who didn't follow him. Maybe they knew about him, they heard about his teachings, but they never trusted in him enough to live out what he said. Sheep and goats, you know, they they might look similar, but they're different. Jesus is coming to judge and divide them. And maybe you've still got this shepherd Jesus in mind, right? This lovingly correcting the sheep and goats. And maybe he even is so generous that he goes and gets one of them who's wandering. He puts him on his shoulder as he brushes back his golden locks. Listen, when the apostle John, Jesus' best friend, was imprisoned on the island of Patmos, God gave him a clearer vision of what Jesus said in Matthew 25. And he wrote it all down. And in the book of Revelation, we see this much clearer picture of Jesus in chapter 19. In verse 11, John writes, Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. Jesus was led into his death on a donkey, but he will be returning on a horse of war. John tells us that his name will be faithful and just. He is the standard by which all of humanity will be judged. And he judges how? Fairly. And this phrase is also translated with justice. And this is so important because Jesus, our loving Savior, is also a just judge. These aren't separate Jesuses. He is fully loving and he's bent on justice. I'm going to unpack that statement in a second because I need you to finish getting a picture of the Jesus that John sees. So he's on a white war horse, and in verse 12, chapter 19, it continues that his eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. 
and his title was the Word of God. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on their white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod, and he will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from the winepress on his robe, at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Let me tell you, this isn't baby Jesus. This isn't shepherd Jesus. This is judgment Jesus. And if this image makes you uncomfortable, you might just want to ask yourself why. He's coming to separate the sheep and the goats. And it's not going to be pretty. He's bent on justice and fully loving. We might need to reconsider, though, our own definition of love and justice to understand this. When we think of justice, we usually associate this with, like, punishing evil, right? If a thief is condemned to jail, we would say that he received justice. If a mass murderer is caught, uh, they're brought to trial, people would say justice might be the death penalty, right? Justice is it's when a bully gets bullied, a cheater gets cheated, maybe when a liar gets discovered. Justice has been served. Justice is also not a bad thing. It can be a good thing. You get rewarded for the good. If you work hard, being acknowledged and, and celebrated is justice. But we often frame justice as you get what you deserve for what you did. Biblically, though, I need to tell you that justice is so much more than this. Justice is when everything is in its proper place. Justice is when no one oppresses anyone else, when all show mutual respect, when life and freedom and peace are affirmed in the people around you. A just ruler will not only punish evildoers, but they will reward those who do good, and they'll also protect those who are weak. They will protect them from the oppressed, they will not allow them to be exploited. A just ruler will not only make sure that all the rules and the laws are obeyed, but they're going to have to make sure that the laws themselves are just and that they don't favor one person or the other, the rich or the powerful. As a disciple of Jesus, we are called into a deeper meaning of justice. It's just so much more than what, you know, you get to do and serve. It's, it's so much bigger. It's putting things in their proper place. And we are called to work for justice. And this justice doesn't mean it's the opposite of love. This is actually the truest form of love. But love, when we talk about this side of Jesus, we celebrate that all the time, don't we? But love isn't simply allowing others to do whatever they want. It's not, it's not saying, well, I forgive you, and then pretending that the offense that was there was really not important. It's irrelevant. Love is truly concerned over both the action and the person performing the action. Everything matters. A, a loving parent really wants, like, they command their kid to behave. It's not because it'll make them happier and their life easier, which it will, but it's also because they know how good behavior is going to benefit their kid. Why? Both now and later. A parent who allows their kid to do whatever they want and just, you know, keep saying, like, nah, it's okay, whatever. Yeah, you know what, go for it. Go out with whoever you want and come home whenever you feel like it. Curfew doesn't matter. Well, this might seem like love to the kid getting away with whatever they want. This isn't a loving parent, is it? This is a checked out parent. Love genuinely wishes and longs for the best 
for the other person, but it will also set a level of expectation and it requires us to give of ourselves to see the other person flourish as an individual. So love ultimately coincides with justice. Jesus's love and justice are just so far beyond our own understanding of love and justice. Jesus's love and justice are so far beyond our own understanding of love and justice. And we would do well not to take what we think love and justice mean and apply it to Jesus, but allow what the Bible says about love and justice to be what it is and apply it to us. Truth is, there's really no way for us to understand love and justice with the finite mind that we have. So, but instead of just skipping over it, like I used to do, I've learned to embrace that there's the mystery of God. I can't figure out how an all-loving God rules with infinite justice. I don't know if I'll ever figure that out. But this doesn't mean that I can just ignore what Jesus said. I believe that we are called to live out every day clinging to the teachings and to the life of Jesus, not just the parts that we like, but the whole of all of his teachings. And in that, we're begging the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what? To love boldly. How? With justice on our minds and in our hearts and with our hands. Our God is a God of perfect love from Genesis to Revelation. And in his perfect love is justice. And from this justice, we experience his love. We need to become okay with what we don't know. But we also need to cling to what we do know. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. We know that Jesus is alive and he is returning. That he is the judge, we are not. That it is time to stop acting like we are the judge and the jury because there's only one. And when he returns at any moment, he's coming on a white war horse to divide the sheep and the goats. And the question is, which side will you be on? Because of our love for each other and our love for our neighbors, I beg you, let us stay committed to the teachings of the Bible. Let us stay centered on living and loving like the biblical Jesus, not a cultural Jesus, and let us work towards justice just like he did. But most of all, in the words of Jesus, since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard, stay on alert, stay alert. So the question I leave you with today with as we sum up Jesus, a Jesus who is the Son of the, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, suffered, crucified, died, buried, descended, risen again, is coming to judge. When you say, I believe, who do you believe in? Is it this Jesus or one with sheeps on his shoulders that's ready to pat you and encourage you? Because while he loves you, I believe he's coming to judge. Who is it that you believe in? We finish up our section on Jesus. And next week we continue with a series of statements on what we as a community believe 
in the Holy Spirit and as it continues. I cannot wait to continue to explore what we believe. We're so glad you joined us today. We believe that steps of faith happen in community, and we would love for you to connect and grow with us in a small group at Crossbridge. Our chat hosts are dropping a link in the chat now so you can see all the virtual and in-person groups we have available. If you have questions or you're not sure what group is best for you, shoot us a message at prayer at crossbridgecc.org. We can't wait to help you connect. We are all about loving God, loving people, and serving the world. If you want to give to help further that mission, you can head over to crossbridgecc.org give for all the ways that you can help contribute.